Okay, so, so I want to walk us through the story and hope, and I, my hope is that there's going to be one or two or three things that land with you and the next time, well, you hear the story of Jonah, it's not just going to be the fish. You're going to be like, have you heard? But in these lessons, and as we look at this, let's, let's see what God is showing each one of us because that's obviously the application. There's, there is the truth, you know, the revealed will, the revelation. Then there's the interpretation. You know, how do we read it? What do we understand by it? And then there's the application. And that's as complicated as I'm going to get today. But what I'm saying is the word does something to us. We can act on it. And we can be different. Cool. So you've heard the little overview of Jonah. Let's go into a little bit of detail. So it happens that it's in the book of Jonah. Okay, so let's quickly read chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So just bear with me. Okay, we're going to do some Jonah. Talking. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Okay, so first, who's Jonah? First thing, hey, do you see? Oh, rhetorical. Okay, so that's not rhetorical, but, but who's Jonah? Some say it's a fictitious character. Like it's like a parable, kind of. It's a story that was told about Jonah. It's not. In stories, you don't say where people are from, who's his dad, you know, etc., etc. So just so you know, in, in, in case you think, because of the big miracles, uh, those that don't really believe the word is trying to make it out to be a fictitious character and a fictitious story. It is not at all. It is written in history, and we'll go through some of these things. So that's the first thing we have to establish. Jonah was real. None of us real. Israel is real, still real. Okay, so, and he's a prophet from God. Okay, we see this in the word, and the prophet is basically a mouthpiece to the people from God. So God said, hey, Jonah, I want you to say this. You say it. Um, and much like God uses us today, you know, he'll share something with us. And in fact, we, we, we saw glimpses of that now, you know, there's fruit of the Spirit, words of wisdom, etc., etc. And God might give a picture that might change the direction of where we go in the morning like this or, you know, our lives. And, and we weigh them up seriously and genuinely. But this is God speaking to Jonah. Jonah, get up. Nineveh. So the next thing is like, okay, we know who Jonah is. He's the son of Amittai. He's from a place uh, called Gath Hefer. He's a prophet. He's an actual person. Okay, cool, lacquer, but what about Nineveh? Why Nineveh? Who's Nineveh? Have you thought about that? Jonah goes preach to Nineveh. I had no idea. And then I started looking into it. This is rad. It gets radical. Okay, so first, Nineveh is the capital. And we're not going to look at the scripture anymore. It's the capital of Assyria. Okay, that's modern-day Iraq. It was roughly 120,000 people at that stage when God spoke to him. And at the peak, it was about 600,000 people. So this is, this is not a small city. This is like in the hub of Assyria. Um, and by the way, it's about 1,000 kilometers. Depending on where in northern Israel Jonah was at the time, it's about 1,000 kilometers away. Okay, and not only is it 1,000 kilometers, it's crossed the mountains of Kudastan and the Syrian desert. How's about that? It's not going to the KFC. Okay, grab us a bucket. This is far. It is dangerous. There's bandits. I mean, this is danger. This is danger. Who's ever crossed the desert? Mountain? Oh, I think we can face that. Maybe in Gordon's Bay. But a desert. Hello. And a thousand kilometers. Guys, this was far. I don't know about you. That alone is like, Lord, sorry? Me? Jonah with a H? I mean, surely there's... <laughs> You know, that's, 
That would be a big enough reason to say, hey, not for me, thank you very much. <laughs> but could it be the distance that maybe detracted him? I don't know. It's very far. Maybe the next point, because for me, this, this was hectic. So Assyria was like a huge enemy of Israel. It's like that woman at the well, not even as bad, but this was bad. Why? They've taken Israel captive twice. Once in 2 Kings 15.29, and then the second time in 2 Kings 17.5-6. So I'm giving it to you so you know this backing, historically. So they've taken them hostage, scattered them, etc., etc. There's a lot of bad blood between them. So that's the next thing. It's like, what? Sorry? Nineveh. No, thank you. Enemies. I don't want to go talk to anybody from Nineveh. You know, the Assyrians, we hate their guts. You could interpret it as that. Interpret it. You think, well, what is that? It's just, you know... Twice? That's not too bad. Could have been three times. Well, what does it mean? And then you go look into the Assyrians. How did they do warfare? Because this might not be important until you see what they were like and how they did what they, that they did. This, this is insane. So one, they were a fierce enemy. Why? Because they were brilliant at warfare and they were exceedingly cruel, as in luck. In any case, military first. They were the first military that put engineers in place. So they had specialized units, archers, cavalry, infantry, each with a very specific role. Okay? Um, they used iron weapons as opposed to bronze. This was huge. Easy for them to manufacture. Everybody could use it. It was much stronger, sharper. It, it stayed intact longer. So they had weaponry that people didn't have. They had units that others weren't thinking of. Um, the chariots that provided huge protection. You know, you're behind a horse as opposed to a guy with a sword. Um, and then their siege techniques were just insane. They had battle rams. They had siege towers. They had tunnels uh, that they would dig and they breached the walls of the fortified cities and they would divert water sources away and they would literally, like, you'd go through a drought within your own city. So these guys knew warfare, and they had brilliant communication networks. They had what they call relay stations, so allowing for swift communication across their vast empire, uh, you know, basically enabling quick responses to anybody at any time. You make a move, they know about it. So that's hectic. So they have weapons you don't. They have ways of getting into your uh, city that's fortified, that's guaranteed. Um, they're the first to employ the engineers kind of first, and then you know, the people with uh, the muscle and the, the brawn. And to give you an idea, I mean, they were so brilliant at warfare. Egyptians were in reign for 2,500 years, but the Assyrians conquered them in 671 BC. I mean, we know Egypt, they were a massive empire. The Assyrians took them, and some people reckon, in about 30 days. Can you imagine? Massive empire, 30 plus days, I mean, don't quote me on the 30 days, but 671 BC. They took Egypt, and they were the world you know, leaders. So that's just their warfare. So when they came for you, it's nach. It's nach, Papa. This is it. Like, it's going to happen. But as if that was enough, or well, wasn't enough, they were unbelievably cruel. They invented some torture measures. Um, not sure how young the audience is. I need, I need to at least say something about it. They were... They were ferocious, you know, putting people on stakes outside the wall. So they would go in and they would literally impale people alive. They would cut off limbs, okay, and have people run around 
So why? Because they would want to drive fear into the heart of the people that they're taking. So people just surrender themselves. And there's a whole long list. I cannot even read what the conqueror or the, the, uh, um, the leader of the Assyrian people said. That it's just hectic. They invented cruelty. Okay? That's hectic. Again, thanks, babe. I won't go in all of it. But just trust me, the Assyrians were the masters not of only warfare, but of torture. So again, if you knew they were coming for you, it was over. Um, and to me, that makes sense. For Jonah to say, what? <laughs> they hated enemy, but more than that, my goodness, these guys, no ways. Me as an Israel going there? Sorry. The other way. That makes sense, right? At least for me, that would have been like, uh-uh. But he was in there, surely. I mean, it's not a bad thing. What was he supposed to go say to them? Well, in Jonah 3, 4, we, here he says, he was supposed to go to them and say, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Serious? Like, seriously? Massive city. I mean, one, would you believe that word, first of all? If I came to you and say, hey, Kevs, 40, day, 40 days, it's... In your mind, this is, come on, man, this is like virtually impossible. But that's what he was supposed to say, because God said it. So what does he do? Jonah 1, 3. Shall we put that up? It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went abroad and sailed for, the, for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Who's with Jonah? <laughs> you know, I don't know. The more I read Jonah, I'm like, yes, yeah, this guy's probably my least favorite prophet. You know, just. And then I think to myself, oh my word, he's like the most like me. <laughs> okay, maybe I should rethink myself. Okay, so I've given you some reasons as to why I might have. But why, like a Joppa? Well, where is this? Joppa's about 30 to 50 kilometers from where he was living. So this guy's saying, hey, forget the thousand. I'm just going to go. We can go to Joppa, jump on a boat, and go to Tarsus. Why Tarsus? We actually don't know. It's a city in ancient Cilicia, which is now bonded Turkey. So from Iraq, this guy's saying, uh uh. And you know what? It's not a thousand kilometers away, it's a thousand two hundred. I'm like, okay, so he's not afraid of traveling. I mean, the guy's got plans, you know, to travel far. Um, yeah. In any case. <laughs> As I said, I'm laughing because I'm like, yes, yeah, that would probably have been me. But I'm, th I'm trying to think, what is his motivation? It's like, can you run away from God? Like, seriously? But despite his attempts to flee, oh, God still pursued him. Okay? God doesn't give up. Don't, don't we, aren't we something like this? God says, hey, go do this. We don't really feel like that for whatever reason. Like, nah, we're going to do my thing. Thank you. God pursued him with a vengeance. Maybe that's the wrong word. But God pursued him. He's like, uh-uh. I've asked you to do something. Okay. Question. So what really motivated him to run away? Let's maybe not answer that yet. Because I do want to get to that. But now, here he is. Boarded, paid, he's on the ship. What happens? Jonah, Jonah 1, 4 to 16. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such violent storm arose, and the ship threatened to break up. That the ship came. Okay. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. Just pause there for a moment. 
Was he so tired of running the 30, 40 kilometers that he fell asleep? Or, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm running away from God, and I know this is the thing, I'm, I'm being naughty, I'm sinning against God, here I am in a ship, falling asleep. Really? In this hectic storm, which is interesting. Okay. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Exactly. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Okay. Obviously, the guy's not even a Christian, but he's calling. Come on, man. And then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who's the responsible for the calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. See, and I, and, and I want to tread carefully here, but I need to bring all, I need to bring the perspective here. Here's Jonah, he's running away from God. He's in the storm. There's other people on the boat. Whose lives are threatened, being threatened by the storm? All of them, exactly. Everybody on the boat. We make decisions in our lives that threaten not only ourselves potentially. I was actually doing worship and this actually had nothing to do with it, but I was like, wow, we are so interconnected. We are one body, different limbs, you know, different pieces, like a, like a house being built up with different bricks. But this, man, decision-making. And this is quite a sensitive story because here it is. What did the sailors do on that ship to deserve a storm and to fear for their lives? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. While they're almost dying, he's sleeping. Have you ever come across the f- <laughs> a friend where life is hectic? And you know all this guy needs is Jesus and his life to be turned around. Or maybe he's even a Christian, but he needs to come back or something needs to happen. His life is so hectic, but the guy's almost like he's blind to it. He's asleep to it. And everybody around him is going frantic. But what if you do this? What about this? What about that? You know, we come in there trying to help. But we are like throwing stuff overboard, lightening the ship. We're trying to make you know, things better for the guy's life. And, you know, praying. And How much did that help these guys? Like Nothing. And the one thing that I want to bring across to each one of us, sometimes we can make decisions to not obey God and whatever he called us to do. And no man can save us from it. That sounds like bad news, but I'm going to balance it with good news. But I need us to see this. Because as good Christians, when something happens in our lives, what do we do first? Hey, we either take the word and we cast that thing out and we preach against it we do all those you know we, we do those things and there's nothing wrong with it. we should be doing those but sometimes there's the job story on this side of the spectrum where he really did nothing god was so proud of him actually he said you have you seen my son job you know it's amazing yeah but the devil was like nah, it's only because you bless him so much it's like no he's it's for me so all those things happened to him he didn't do anything wrong even his friends said like surely surely no but then there's the other friend that we have. Seems like he's just on a journey, like an adventure. But you see, the, the life is full of storms, man. Full of storms. Nothing that I, you know, we can do for him or her, whatever, changes anything. It just seems to get worse. Do we normally, naturally as Christians, take a step back and say, Lord, are you busy with this person? Is the storm of this guy's life because he needs to make right with you? He needs to get back on track. Do you, do, do you see that? For me, it's comforting. Because I don't want to go Rabba Shabba and go do this and fast for 30 days and do all those wonderful things if it's just a matter of me having to repent and come back to Jesus, actually. And maybe there's some of us that need to hear that. Stop struggling. Stop throwing things overboard. It's not the stuff. Stop rallying friends that can you know, do whatever they do. 
Or maybe stop sleeping. It's time to wake up. And you know what happens next? He takes responsibility. He owns up. He admits the storm. Shall we read that little next portion? So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Yes, see, now the guys are like, okay. So he answered, I'm a Hebrew. I'm, uh, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? And they knew he was running away from the Lord now because he had just told them. So they're like, what have you done? And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down? It's, it's amazing that they knew. You're the problem. We need to do something with you. I mean, it's not me. <laughs> like, here's the problem. Yeah. What are we going to do with you? <laughs> I don't know if they had too many options, but it's like, okay, um, pick me up. Okay. Pick me up. Throw me into the sea. His suggestion. Is there someone that needs to use that advice? Say the friends and the family and the accountability partners around us, like, actually, you know what? Yes. You've got you, you to pick me up and throw me back into the hands of God at His mercy. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. You owned up. You owned up on what happened. Instead, the men did their best to, throw, to row back to land, <laughs> but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Here you have, now they're probably chummies, okay, we're intimate sharing, this is what I did wrong, you throw me over. They're like, what? We're not going to throw you overboard, let's go. And the man is rowing. Can you see this picture? This is insane. Now the buddies and strangers are even helping you to escape. To not be accountable for what you've done. For, for him, not you, sorry, Jonah. Um, might be applicable, maybe not, but you, you see this? How insane is this? The manna is rowing. I wonder, I don't know how long they rode, but they probably realized, look, this storm is against us. We are dying. There's nothing left to chuck overboard. Uh, but <clears throat> Jonah, sorry, man, we tried everything. You got to go. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> not supposed to be funny, but <laughs> if you see that picture, it's like, you're... And for myself, I realize, sometimes I've been rowing the boat to save someone. All it's doing is tiring me out. And the storm is now getting more hectic and you know, implicating my life. So, look, we are called to help one another. That is not a question to come alongside. And sometimes it's to lift you up and throw you overboard. Right? Okay, let's, let's, let's continue. <laughs> Was it 15? And 16. Is that it? There's more. Cool. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Yes, he, guys, look at that. As soon as they took the problem, and they just plonked it overboard. Calm sea. Look at that. Sometimes we want that calm sea, but we've got we've to pick up the thing. It's interesting that this is, this is, again, that's why I started with, this is not a story of a fictitious character. This is a real person going through real life. Going through that. I, I don't know about you, but how much courage, or I don't know what it must take to take someone alive and throw them overboard. Again, it's not a fictitious sea or a fictitious storm and boat. 
This is the real deal. That's going to take a lot of courage. No tough love. We've heard it, we've seen it before. But like when God does, when he loves us in this way, it's not to destroy us. It's like when Paul put people out of the church, it was never for their destruction, it's for their repentance, it's for them coming back to God. But we are, we are sometimes more gracious than God himself. Because we would tolerate that storm until our very lives are at stake and probably taken. I just want us to, again, you know, dip into the story and see. But there's more. Verse 17. This is where, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. One of the eight miracles, as I mentioned before. Now, there's a prayer that he prays. Um, I don't think we should, it's quite, a, it's quite a lengthy one. But, guys, can you just imagine Jonah for a moment? Okay, I know I need to go overboard. Boom. See, God's mercy, absolutely. He doesn't know the end of the story. All he knows is I ran away from God. I tried to make a plan. I was being disobedient. Whatever comes my way, I actually deserve it. Right? But by God's great mercy, he sends this big whale of a fish. Fish of a whale. And if you can't, <laughs> it's not a whale. Um, guys, this is scary stuff. It is a fish. No, it is a fish. It's not a, probably a whale fish, but hey. Um, <laughs> guys, this is scary. I don't know how good your swimming is. But to be thrown into a storm, massive waves. And he's probably sinking. In fact, if you read the prayer, you'll see that the, the seaweed was around his head, etc., etc. You read the whole prayer. Some Bible uh, scholars say, he died. Some say he died. That's death language. You saved me from Sheol, you know, uh, hell, etc., etc. How insane is this that God would still come in, in all of that, and he makes a way? Not only to save his life, he makes a way for him to be obedient. Okay, because here's the fish, and what does the fish do? Yeah, I didn't eat him. That's probably be the, <laughs> like, yes. You know, some, that probably would have made some sense to have him chow. But no, God says no. So Jonah, uh, verses, uh, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, he prays. God, you know what? And God hears him. We won't go through that now. So what I'm saying is when you are desperate, when you have nowhere else to turn, there's still life in your lungs, you can call out to God. Okay, he was not dead yet, and God could save you from a certain death. So, Let's go to Jonah 2, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. God speaks a word. Poof. And that fish that he made, and the miracle that he uh, created there, is back on dry land. Back where he started. Not, well, a little bit further away, but isn't that amazing? The one thing that struck me here, and it was something that I, fit, that I put in later, it's like, so now you've been through the storm, you've identified, you've owned up, you say, it's me, you're willing to throw your hand in, in the hands of God, you pray, you, he saves you. A fish comes, spits you out. Miracle upon miracle. This is insane. The fact that there's miracles in our lives does not mean we are in the will of God. He might work a miracle to get you back on track. 
Because sometimes we make a good decision. Okay, cool. Ah, okay, throw me overboard, you know? Sometimes we do make good decisions in life. It's the first step in the right direction. His direction. But we shouldn't be confusing that miracles happening around us is necessarily the normal thing. It could be that he is very serious about putting us back on track and doing his will. Does that make sense? Because often you'll see someone's first breakthrough happened after this insane season of life. And it's like, oh my word, yes, I'm on the right track. This is amazing. Look what God done. He just provided a job. He did this, he did that, whatever the thing is. And it's a miracle. Thank you, Lord. And then all of a sudden, it takes another left. Whoa, stop now. Hold on. Stop. Focus. He's doing the miracle because he wants your attention so that you can carry on the journey that he set you. Okay, so Jonah 3, 1 to 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. <laughs> Nothing changes. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. The message that in 40 days you'll be clear. How amazing is this too? God didn't change his mind. He still wanted Jonah to do that very same thing that he asked him to do. Because obedience is required to fulfill our destiny, your destiny, and God's purpose. We have to. We're going to live a miserable life of one storm to the next storm to the next thing to the next thing. Why don't we just surrender? We said, Lord, actually, yes. How willing was he to do this, by the way? God spoke to him, yes! Thank you. That's what I've been waiting for. Let's do it. Come on. Let's do this. <laughs> no. He ran away. Bit of a coward. That's what I say. The more I read it, the more it's like, yes, the day this, this prophet sucked. I mean, he's not a prophet at all. What kind of a prophet is this? My kind, you know? But think about that. He's not willing. So what I'm saying is we don't have to necessarily like, oh, yes, all the stars and all the moon, everything aligns. Yes, all this is, yeah. And I feel great about it. And I have peace. I sleep like a baby. Or maybe I don't sleep at all. Question is, did God say this? Did God instruct? And if he did, that's enough. Speak to yourself in the mirror. Hey, champ, you're going to do that. You're going to go to Nineveh. You're not going to go to Joppa or Tarsus or wherever else you want to go. We have to. Man, because there's blessing in it. So here is Brother Jonah. Chapter 3, 3 to 4. Jonah obeyed. Praise the Lord. Finally, he obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. And on the first day, Jonah started into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Ha! Can I get a witness? No, I'm sure that did not happen. But you know what he does? It's a three-day journey. He travels right into the heart the heart of Nineveh. Maybe the first time if he obeyed, he would have just gone to the, the wall. 40 days, you'll be gone. And run. Make it, you know what I'm saying? Make a dash for it. Because <laughs> they're cruel, hectic people. I mean, they, they kill without even thinking twice. Huh? Don't you think? This time he's like, ah, God said go. I'm going straight to the middle of it. That's like proper obedience. Okay, let's not do it half-heartedly. Let's do this thing properly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not easy, but there he is in the heart and he preaches it. Okay, spoke the truth. And you know what? 
Again, we know the end of the story. He knows nothing. All he knows is this hectic people needing to hear this word from God. And he hates their guts in any case. He's like, let them burn. Because that's what they did with all their cities and all the people. Okay, almost makes sense. But then the most incredible thing happens. Jonah 3 verse 5 to 10. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And they, sure, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. By the way, sackcloth, something you wear under your garments, is like a, it's, it's itchy and it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, it's hectic, and in any case, not pleasant. And when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. So now the people are starting to believe. How insane is this? That's, that someone would believe the word of God. It's almost like God knew what was going to happen. Maybe. But I mean, people know that it reaches the king. What does the king do? He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust or ash. And then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything fast. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Mind blown. One another, it's like a miracle that happened. He goes, he preaches, and the people believes God. Right up to the king. We heard the story. And that the king would lead by example. Guys, this is not a sure. This is a hectic nation. But the change of hearing God's heart. Because God doesn't play. As much as God was with Jonah, I need you to go preach. The words that God told them, he will certainly do. But then, if you repent. Repentance, sure, that makes God change his mind. Ash, by the way, uh, is a sign of mourning and repentance. Obviously, they fast, they prayed, they had the sackcloth. Man, God's grace restores and brings repentance in unexpected ways. Now, this is obviously him preaching to a lost nation. Imagine, and I'm, I'm guilty as anybody would be on this, but how many people are there living maybe down our street, in our neighborhood, here in Gordon's Bay? Maybe God sent you here to Gordon's Bay because he wants you to bring a word, a message, live a life. In fact, I'd like to suggest that it's all of us. He's called us. A light, city on a hill, he wants us to shine brightly. So to a certain extent, we are all called to this very thing. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. It's for all of, all of us. You see the challenge that I have with Jonah? I too have been called. You too have been called. There's things God wants us to do. And maybe it's not just speaking to unsaved people, although this is a great opportunity. We have Jonathan Conrath also coming next week, so maybe this will help that point. If you were thinking about speaking to that person at work or the family member, please just do it. Just go. What have you got to lose? I heard someone say once, you know, someone who's 
quite good with evangelism, not afraid of anything. He says, well, what's the worst that can happen? I can't chase them to hell number two. If they're already lost, they lost. There's one destination. But if we do what Jonah did, could God maybe in his mercy and his wisdom bring about a change like this, where they repent and truly turn from their ways? You know what? The whole city got saved. God did not pour out his wrath upon them. Huh? Sure. Imagine. This is the, 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 the story of the sower, the parable of the sower. He just kept sowing. Sowing all the different grounds. Only one quarter fell on the fertile. Guys, we do not have to worry about sparingly sow. We just sow. Let's preach. Let's, let's sow. Let's, let's bring the word. Let's encourage our guide work. Let's, be, let's not be afraid of the words of God. Was Jonah perfect? No. Was he a sinner? Yes. Was he a rebel and ran away from God? Yes. What I'm saying is he's not qualified. If righteousness, perfect righteousness, is the qualification, he didn't qualify to speak this word. We were also not going to be fully qualified in our own to preach anything. But let's do it. Jonah 4, 1 to 4. We're almost there. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. What? Hold on. Angry. You finally obey. You preach the word. People get saved. Like, come on. This is like, what is this? Is this not like a, uh, a I almost said a revolution. Um, a revival. This is a revival. A 120,000 inhabitants of this place get saved. This is insane. He gets angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, this now what I have said when I was still at home. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. Ha, huh? now we get the reason. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. Now, oh, Lord, take away my life, for this is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> this is insane. This is insane. He never ran away because they are fierce people. Or that they're murderous and, you know, like hectic. Not at all. Look at this guy. What? Because God is gracious and he knew that the enemy was going to be saved? Are you kidding me? Wow. Like, no, seriously, I'm not going to preach. You know what? I'm not going to share the gospel with him because he's going to get saved. And I don't dig him, man. You know what that guy did to me? And my family, whatever else. It's like, honestly, it blows my mind that this is what he was upset with. And his anger, see how his anger just blinds him to, the, to God's mercy. Yo! But then the Lord replied, Have you a right to be angry? A rhetorical question. But he doesn't get it. Because look at verses 5 and 9 of, of chapter 4. And Jonah went out and he sat down on a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter. Sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Probably hoping that 40 days is close enough and the enemy would come and, you know, just wipe them out. I don't know. But the Lord, and then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Yeah. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine. So that that it withered away. Again, another one of the eight miracles. Unbelievable. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. 
Hmm. But God said to Jonah, let's go back to that question I asked you earlier. Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do. <laughs> wow. He said, I'm angry enough to die. Yo. Wow. Look. Look. At, I don't know what it is. Is it selfishness? This man's grudge was deep. His passion maybe for his people, for Israel. The ancestors, the people who killed off and the families and stuff. And you know what? Actually, if you look down at it from a human level perspective, we might say, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they do deserve to die. But when God forgives, who, who am I? If he sets free, who, who am I? Do I have a right to be angry with that? Certainly not. But we're inclined to hold grudges and desire retribution, isn't it? Yes, see. And external events can deeply affect our mood, just like this tree. Up, oh, I'm so happy. Next day it's gone, plus the scorching wind. Take my life from me. <laughs> it's like, sure, guys, we, we are. Our moods change. And look, his priority was his own comfort. It's crazy how he could be so angry at his discomfort, yet for 120,000 people he felt feathers. Isn't there something wrong with that picture? And this is what God is showing. It's like, really? You do not care about 120,000 God does. He cares intimately and he'll give them opportunity and he did. But it blinds us, guys. Pride will blind us to God's purposes and his compassion. And it just exposes our heart. Verses 10 to 11. I think we did 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should it not be concerned about that great city? Or should I not be? God is saying, of course I should be. I should be concerned about that more than anything else. That's why I send you there. But his obviously focus was wrong. His focus was on his comfort. And what a great display, once again, of God's mercy and just reminding us of his authority. And he can be compassionate to whomever he wants. So here we are. We are called to prioritize others, to align our heart with God's heart. And we are there to extend grace, no matter how we feel, no matter what we think. And often we're not going to feel, we're going to feel like him. We want to run away and we can back it up with stats and figures and history and emotions, whatever the case is. But I want to, yeah, I want to just remind us again, like the story does, God's perspective, it really does transcend our limited view. We only know and we see this little bit. You know, the funny thing is with Nineveh, as massive uh, turnaround as we see there, because the whole city came to God and things changed drastically. A few generations later, 150 years, the prophet Nahum, I don't know if you know this, but Nineveh was destroyed 150 years later. This time God came to them again, but not with a word that should they turn there will be grace. They had that. They again turned away from him, but there was the end of the line. And Nahum, Nahum prophesied to them. And they were gone. There was no chance. There was no second chance. So again, even in that, in righteousness, God, he's a fair, righteous judge. 
He extends mercy. If we accept his son, sure, we can. You know, we get our chance. But if we harden our hearts, we go back to those ways, look what happened. They were completely destroyed. So if Jonah could see the future, he would have known. But God doesn't overshow us that. He just says, trust me. This is what I want you to do. And maybe for us, the context, guys, is completely different. And I'm, I'm, I'm landing. Maybe the context is completely different. I want to ask you, what has God asked, spoken, to, spoken to you about? Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe it's God, God is asking you, and, and, and I'm not, please, I'm not saying this because I know of any situation. I'm just saying as a father, maybe God wants me to be the loving dad, not only, well, loving dad, first and foremost, and a loving husband, to honor and love my wife like I love myself. Maybe I should let go of some pride. Often you fall into that thing of Oof, comfort, my comfort. What do I want? What do I need? That's all I really want. I don't really want to go, you know, make you a cup of tea. A silly example. But is it maybe that? Is it something in your marriage? Is it something with your kids? Maybe you should actually step in. Put healthy boundaries down. Maybe it's at work. Maybe you should actually work your eight hours a day and not two hours. Again, I don't know. I'm using examples. What is the thing that God has asked us to be faithful with, to be diligent with perhaps, and be running away? Now you can fill in the blank. There's so many different examples. So massive reason for me, and I felt like what God is wanting this word to come out about Jonah, and again, I hope that we'll never see it again, is the grace that he extends that when we do repent, when we do turn, when we do get back on course, so no matter what happened in the past, because again, that's, that's yesterday, but we can make right today. We can say, Lord, yes, maybe I'm unwilling, because it's going to be hard, it's going to be tough, it's going to be a thousand journey over deserts and mountains, whatever. Yes, but it's going to be good. It's going to be fruitful. It's going to have massive change and impact. Do it. And I'm encouraging myself here. Do it. As first of all a son. As a child of God. But also as a father to my children. As a husband to my wife. As a brother and a friend to others. God's called us. Each one of us guys. Let us not run away. Is that good? Because you know why? Oh, he loves us. And he will pursue us. And right now, if you're in a storm, can I ask you, you've, you've come against Satan, you've done everything you can, maybe just take a moment, and just say, Lord, sure, is this storm in my life that's raging, I can't get out of it, people can't help me through it, is it perhaps me? Is there something that I should make right with you and pursue again? And I'm no question that it's going to be true for some of us. Let's do it. Let's encourage one another in that too. Cool. That is where I want to leave it for today. Let that simmer over the roast little potatoes. Philip. The braai boat, whatever it might be. And guys, this is a please, not a heavy. I love the story now more than ever. And again, I associate with Jonah so well, but I'm encouraged, man. God will use an unwilling prophet like that.